All right, let's pray together, and I'm going to ask that you would pray with me and agree with me. I'm going to also lead us in a prayer for favor. We've been praying, doing our due diligence in the spirit as well as in the natural for Wednesday night. So do you mind praying with me for favor for Wednesday night, but also we'll pray that our hearts will be warmed by God's word today. Father God, we come before you, the powerful and mighty name of your son, Jesus. And Lord, we stand in agreement as a body of believers We believe that you have made available to us the properties that we're sitting in and around us here at Bennett's Creek Square. We need your favor, Lord, to go before us. Even as the enemies of the Old Testament armies of the Lord were defeated, we ask, Lord, that you would grant us favor and success in these endeavors. And so, Lord, we claim that according to your word, and we trust in you to make your will known and confirm it through these physical circumstances in Jesus' name. Father, we ask that you would uh, cause the Holy Spirit right now to work through our hearts, through the written word of God, that we would learn and grow together. And Lord, that we'd be strengthened as we study your word. We thank you that it gives us life and health in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Well, we're excited today because we're beginning a new series of messages, uh, six weeks on the subject of New Testament postcards. Now, I know some of you are thinking, did they use postcards in the New Testament? Did they really do that? And uh, I'm here to tell you and to remind you that although our New Testament includes 27 books, yes, that comprises the entire New Testament by many different authors, all inspired by the Holy Spirit, of course. There were different authors, John and Luke and Paul and others. Uh, The Apostle Paul himself wrote 13 letters over the course of 15 years. But what was on my heart was to give attention to some of the books of the New Testament that don't get a lot of attention. Each of those are small in size, and therefore all it takes is one turn of the page and and you missed Philemon totally. You just never even knew that he was around just because you flipped two pages at once. And these are studies in Philemon, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Jude. Interestingly enough, it makes it really easy to study because there's only one chapter in each of those letters, right? How can you get lost in one chapter, right? And so I said, let's just do a series and we'll cover each of these and give a little bit more attention to one than maybe the others. But uh, today marks the beginning of this series that will wrap up in the middle of March and it will be a study on the New Testament postcards. So this is a Bible study of sorts, and uh, I know sometimes it might feel like it's a little challenging to cover one whole book, one whole chapter uh, in one message, but we're going to endeavor to do just that. And so today we're going to begin with a study of Philemon, a study of Philemon. And I don't know how many of you have ever spent time studying Philemon, but it is, and we'll read it in just a moment, But it is simply a brief account of a runaway slave who's named Onesimus. Can everybody just say the word with, say, Onesimus. Very good. You did good at that. All right, so this is the runaway slave. He's a primary character in this story, Onesimus. And he has an owner whose name is Philemon. And, of course, the Apostle Paul is the author of this postcard. And Paul is intervening trying to reconcile the relationship between the former master or owner and the runaway slave Onesimus. About six years before Paul was killed and executed in Rome, Paul 
dropped a personal memo, a very short handwritten note to a man, a friend that he knew named Philemon, who was a resident of the city of Colossae. Yes, there is a very strong correlation between the book of Philemon and the book of Colossians. This letter is, though, not like Colossians. This is more of a postcard. It's the shortest of all Paul's writings, the absolute shortest. The other thing that is unique, it is that it is personal in nature. All the other letters and epistles that Paul wrote were sent to a broad congregation of people or even multiple churches to be shared. But in this one, he's writing it personally to an individual alone. And it's the only of Paul's personal memos that the Holy Spirit chose to include in our New Testament. Isn't that interesting? Surely he must have written hundreds of these kinds of notes to people, but this one had a message, and this one had a deep level of Holy Spirit inspiration to cause it to be included in our New Testament. Additionally, I found that the subject matter of the book of Philemon is incredibly relevant to us today, as hopefully you will discover as we teach it this morning. So I'm going to read to you Philemon. There are 25 verses all in one chapter, and I've chosen to read it to you today out of New Living Translation. We'll just give it a little bit more contemporary language, but you may use whatever uh, particular Bible version that you may have. So if you want to just listen, you may listen to this as it's a very personalized uh, note to Philemon from the Apostle Paul. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Jesus Christ and from our brother Timothy. I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Aphia, and to our fellow soldier Archippus, and to the church that meets in your house. A quick pause there. You can see that there was a house church in the early church Church gathered in homes on a regular basis, not quite as regularly in large groups as in small. And there was a house church, small group meeting in Philemon's home. All right, just a little insight there. Verse 3, may God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. How many of you know Paul loves those two words, amen? Grace and peace he offers to Philemon as he begins this letter. Verse 4, I always thank God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing stories about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things that we have in Christ. Your love has given me so much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. That is why today I am boldly asking a favor of you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's simply the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer to simply ask you. Consider this. As a request from me, Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner for Christ, I appeal to you to show some kindness 
to my child, my son in the faith, Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while he was here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. Can I pause there for a moment for a sidebar comment that is very important? The name Onesimus, in its original use, the name in that language actually meant useful or profitable. And so he is, this is a little bit of a play on words here by Paul. And he's talking to him, obviously, about your, your, for, your former slave, Onesimus Philemon. And it, now he does a little play on the name Onesimus, saying he used to not be useful. He wasn't profitable. In fact, he was detrimental, wasn't he? But now he, now he has become profitable and useful. And that's Paul's point, of course. Go on if we can. And he says, I am sending him back to you. And with him comes my own heart. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you were willing, not because you were forced. It seems you lost Onesimus for a little while so that you could have him back now forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He's more than a slave, for now he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, Welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. Charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. Isn't that kind of an interesting little... (laughs) A little bit of a jab there, isn't it? You know, He just couldn't help himself. I'm writing this in my own words. It wasn't Paul's custom to handwrite his, his letters. He did it through a scribe. But this one is handwriting, right? Yes, my brother, please do me this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I'm confident that as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing. Please prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. Of course, we know that didn't happen, did it? Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you his greetings. So do Mark and Aristarchus and Demas and Luke and my co-workers. Those were all people that were there with Paul in his house prison. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Now, this is a, uh, this is a compelling story. And it deserves a little bit of examination of the setting and the occasion. First of all, just just kind of set some facts in motion here. The author is clear. It's Paul, right? Paul was arrested in 57 AD in Jerusalem on false charges. He went through a series of trials with Felix and Festus and Agrippa and uh, spanning a two-year period. And finally, Paul was transported to Rome 
where he was to have a hearing before Caesar himself. Now, while he was in Rome, um, we know that Paul actually lived in rented quarters and a house uh, rather than being in the prison the entire time as he was awaiting this, this, uh, this appearance before Caesar. He was in a house prison but was in chains, likely had a soldier, a Roman soldier, a guard there at all times to make sure he didn't escape. But this gave Paul a level of freedom and he had many guests and friends and strangers even that would come by to see him. And that was the setting uh, when he was writing this. He, could, he, uh, he was always, of course, knowing Paul, he was always ready to share the good news of Jesus with somebody that came by, right? So this letter was written to who? To Philemon. It was a warm, friendly s- s- appeal, and yet there were some little strong points in there as well, weren't there? We know that Philemon, we know these things about Philemon. We know that he was a wealthy business owner, We know that he owned slaves, which, by the way, was commonplace during this time. It wasn't unusual for people to own slaves. And in fact, even in the book of Colossians, the book of Ephesians, Paul specifically gives directions uh, in those texts, actually doesn't forbid slavery, which, of course, uh, I don't think the Bible's trying to suggest that slavery is right and good, but it doesn't address the right and wrong, the morality of slavery, but actually tells slaves how to submit to their masters and tells masters how to handle their slaves. So we have a slave owner. His name is Philemon. And he was a not only a member of the church at Colossae, he was a leader and led a house church in there. So this is the person who Paul is giving this friendly appeal to. What is the purpose of this whole letter? If you step back and say, well, what is the purpose of this postcard? Paul has this primary purpose. He wants Philemon to accept back and reinstate Onesimus, who is a runaway slave, but he wants him to take him back to forgive him and to be reconciled to him and to restore him. Now, a couple of brief comments about slavery in this particular day. Because if you don't understand slavery, some of this may not make sense to you. Paul, in his day, was exposed to slavery in its rawest, most brutal form. It has been established that at this particular time in the Roman Empire, there were over 60 million slaves. Can you imagine? That's a big, big population. If they had ever decided to revolt and somehow could get solidarity, that would have been a pretty ugly scene. 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire as a whole. The conditions were unbearable. And you have to understand that the masters, according to Roman law, could pretty well do whatever they want to do in terms of mistreatment of their slaves. Uh, Very, very unfortunate, but they, they did. They literally treated them, William Barclay says, as simply tools. They treated these humans who were slaves as simply tools to get their work accomplished or literally like animals that they would direct to assist them in getting their work done. Slaves had no rights at all. And if a slave, as in this particular case, would ever by some reason steal something, as we see here in this text, he likely did steal something. Paul's promising to what? to repay it, right? He probably, as he was trying to escape from uh, Philemon, he probably took something to help finance his trip. Um, So we know that that if if there was ever a crime committed, they could literally kill the slave. 
That was common. The absolute minimum punishment that would have been received by a slave that had run away, stolen something, or even just run away, absconded, and then came back, would be that they would take a hot branding iron and they would brand into their forehead an F. An F standing for uh, the, the, the Latin word that we get our English word, fugitive. Can you imagine from that day on being permanently marked with that F in your forehead, everybody that would ever see you, any future employment, anyone would always see that mark of the F. So let's take a brief moment and look at this specific situation that's going on here between Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. As I mentioned to you, Onesimus had been a slave owned by Philemon, and apparently he robbed him of something. For whatever his motivation was, he decided to run away. He somehow was able to get all the way to Rome, 1,200 miles away, by the way. That's pretty incredible in and of itself. So he was able to somehow you know, catch rides and, and hike his way all the way to Rome. And uh, most people, scholars believe the reason he did this is because there was a greater population of slaves in Rome than anywhere else. And if he was there in Rome, he could probably hide among all the slave population, and no one would ever know, and he could probably never be caught. He left behind, though, a broken relationship. When Onesimus escaped, he left behind a broken relationship with his master, Philemon, and likely with others. The issue that we find, which is intriguing, fascinating, and really glorious here. That while in Rome, he happened to meet Paul. Just an accident. We know that in God there's no accidents. Especially when God is... uh, I just have my own personal thoughts. I actually believe at some point... I believe Philemon had some hard feelings, obviously, towards his runaway slave. But I have a suspicion he probably prayed for him. And prayed for his salvation being the Christian leader that Philemon was. And God somehow ordered his steps to have him intersect with, guess who? Yes, imprisoned Paul there in Rome. Somehow, someway, he met him. Paul began to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this runaway slave. Didn't judge him. Didn't make him feel bad. Didn't make him feel worthy. He wasn't judging him and saying, well, you don't deserve Jesus because you're just a dirty old you know, slave that's run away. No, 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 none of that. Paul simply presented the unconditional love of God and asked him if he'd like to make Jesus his Savior and Lord. Onesimus made a decision by faith to accept Jesus Christ, probably guilt-laden as he was, and he accepted Christ, and he knew that before God, He was forgiven. Paul apparently continued to disciple him. Paul refers to him as what? He's like a child. He's like my own son in the faith. Remember, he even referred to Timothy, a great man of God, as a son in the faith. Now, Paul had many sons in the faith, but now he extends that and he includes Onesimus as a son in the faith, which meant he likely didn't just help him get uh, to know Jesus, but he discipled him 
through the process and helped him to get established. And some time must have gone on before, uh, since his salvation before Paul actually penned this postcard. Wow. His life was changed. And yet he was faced with this dilemma. What do I do now about my past? Any of you ever faced those kinds of dilemmas? What was Onesimus to do? Was he to attempt to go back to his master? What would his master do? Would his master brand him with an F? Or even more likely, kill him and take his life? He couldn't deny the past, but he didn't know what to do in his own future. So if we can now that we kind of understand the situation more clearly, let's look at the exact text itself. And I, won't, uh, I didn't include detailed notes for you here on the screen, but I just kind of want to walk through this with you and uh, look at the, uh, the order of things that is as written in this particular letter of Philemon. We begin with a greeting and salutation, the first three verses, and we see Paul greeting uh, uh, his fellow, he calls him his beloved brother and his fellow worker, which tells us a lot about the rapport and relationship. It was an intimate relationship that Paul had with Philemon, who was a leader in the church there, Colossae. He also noticed he, he mentions Aphia. Most people believe that Aphia was Philemon's wife. So he was being very cordial. Oh, by the way, tell your wife, hello. I said, hello, Aphia. Hi, how's it going? And oh, by the way, also, uh, uh, he mentioned other workers from the church, Archippus, who is mentioned also in the book of Colossians, who was a worker and a leader there at the church in Colossians. In Colossians. And Paul's always giving those kinds of warm greetings, isn't he? And, of course, he ends this greeting with what? A salutation of, and by the way, grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. Then Paul gives the body of this letter, the real guts of it, are found in verses 4 through 22. And this is simply Paul's appeal to Philemon. He, he, I find it interesting that he kind of warmed his way up to the subject. You notice, did you notice that? He kind of, you know, was really, you know, if you're trying to get something right with someone, you're really trying to get, have you noticed that a little positive at the beginning of your conversation helps and say some nice things and give your nice warm greetings? And it's like, okay, now let's get down to the deal here. All right? So now Paul is at the heart of the deal. And he begins with uh, words of commendation uh, for his friend. He begins uh, by encouraging him uh, in verse 6. And then he makes this request. And the request is what? He says in verse 17, maybe says it best, accept this runaway slave, Onesimus. Accept him back as you would accept me. Think about that for a moment. He's saying, take this runaway slave back. Even as if it was me coming to see you, you would graciously, warm-hearted, you would hug me, receive me as a brother, as a man of God. I want you to receive this criminal in the same way. He said, but remember, he's not the same. He's not the same anymore. Why? Because he had come to Christ. He explained in verse 11 how he had been changed. He said, he's a new man. He once was just a slave who had committed a crime. But now he's a new man. He says, and that's where he used that play on words. He said he used to be useless, and now he's useful. Paul had ministered to him while in prison. He clarifies that in verse 13. 
And then he says, by the way, if he owes you anything, if you receive him back, if he owes you anything, I'm good for it. Count on me. I'll cover whatever debt that he still owes you. Put it on my account. That's powerful. Verse 18 and 19, clarify. Paul very clearly saying, charge it to my account. I'll pay for it. So Paul here is becoming the advocate for his new son in the faith, Onesimus. And he's speaking to his former owner, and he's making this very specific and yet difficult, challenging appeal. So he ends the letter with final greetings in verses 23 through 25. So I've selected, um, I've selected some lessons. I believe there's always something for us not just to read and go, wow, that was an interesting story, and close the Bible and go our way. But God's word has personal application, doesn't it? Amen? So my question to you, which I'm going to help you with, is what are the lessons that I can learn from this postcard to Philemon that I can apply to my own personal life? I have a few to offer you here. All right, you ready for these? Number one. Number one, first lesson, I think it's a powerful one. God has the power to transform lives. Have you figured out that only God can change a man's heart, a woman's heart, right? A child's heart. Only God can truly transform a life. And yet, is there anything more powerful? Is there anything more, more, uh, more uh, co- that connects with people other than the example of someone who has changed? How many of you say that my old life and where I'm living now, they're totally different. Some people wouldn't even recognize me. You know what I'm talking about? You say, you know, if someone met me now who used to know me when I, before I came to Christ, wow, they wouldn't even know me. Why? Because God's been working on you. Because God's been developing his character in you. You're a new person, not only a new man or a new woman because you've accepted Christ, but God has begun to change the way you talk. How many of your language has cleaned up a little bit since then, huh? Only two hands went up. Y'all a bunch of liars? I know better. Come on now. Your language is cleaned up. Your behavior, your practices, you don't do the same things you used to do. Why? Because being a believer is, first of all, being forgiven by God. But then it results in God working in us to change us and make us examples of his love and his power and his mercy. And here, Onesimus was a gleaming, shining example of a changed life. I could tell you about people that I've seen changed. I could tell you stories of people whose lives were radically changed. I remember a young man who's a friend of both of my sons. And many of you know the story of my sons as they had three years of rebellion during their teenage years and turned against God with all their gusto and uh, began using drugs and dealing stuff and all kinds of stuff. Well, one of their friends, their drug drug friends, um, was brought after uh, my sons came back to the Lord, they decided to bring him to uh, an evangelistic meeting that we were having at church. And guess what? God changed his heart. He came to Christ that night, was born again. And then, soon after he came to Christ, the police arrested him for the things that he had been doing because he was a pretty well-known 
drug dealer in the Chesapeake area. And do you know, I remember sitting down with that young man and he said, I don't know what to do. I said, go to prison. Go. Pay your crime. Pay for the consequences of your life of sin. And I said, God will use even your year and a half in prison to help turn your life into a wonderful example of his power and grace. Do you know he did that? Did that. And during that time, he was leading Bible studies and prayer meetings in prison. Began to continue to grow in his life. He still to this day is a friend with my sons and now is a leader and uh, works for a Christian ministry and serves God with all of his heart. And I look at him today because my wife and I knew him quite well as he would come over the house and it was like, eh. and now you look at me and go, man, you are so, such an example of God's power to change lives. How many of you are thankful that he, he's changed you? Amen. The second lesson that I think we can glean from this letter is that friendship and relationships are important and useful. You might say, where'd you get that? Just stop and think for a moment of Paul. Paul was the most relational guy you would ever meet. Some of you think of Paul as being hardcore and making these legal arguments and and theological suppositions, but at his heart of hearts, he was a relational guy. Everything Paul ever did was with other people. He was building rapport and relationships and friendships. Even at this writing of this letter, he said, by the way, Timothy's here with me. You go back and read all the stories of Paul, and he's always got friends hanging out. Why? He valued relationships. It wasn't just about getting God's work done, because they were useful for that too, but he valued personal friendships and relationships. He knew that a threefold cord was not easily broken. He believed that two are better than one. And as you look through all the life examples of Paul, I actually have recently went through and studying this for for leadership training, and I actually counted 36 specific names of Paul's friends in the New Testament. 36 specific people. Why? He believed in relationships. I hope you as a believer today that you have some core relationships. You understand that everybody's not going to be the same level of intimacy, but you're working to to develop community and connections with people and have friends and have relationships. I wouldn't live without it. And I think that lesson can be quickly drawn for here as we see the relationship and rapport between Paul and this new believer, Onesimus. Number three, the lesson is so clear. Forgiveness is the responsibility of every Christian believer. Forgiving someone who has wronged you is not an option. It is a necessity, friends. We cannot afford to hold unforgiveness, offenses, resentment and bitterness towards those that have wronged us. It doesn't pay you any dividends to say, yes, but you just don't know what they did. It doesn't matter what they did. We owe everyone forgiveness. The Bible challenges us even in the Lord's prayer, doesn't he? He speaks to us about forgiving those who have hurt us. Matthew six fifteen. But if you don't forgive others their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your sins. Colossians 3.13, bear with one another. Forgive one another if you have any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Listen, not only should we be the recipients of forgiveness, but we should be those who live in constant forgiveness. When someone hurts you, disappoints you, offends you, quickly 
forgive them and release them and mark it off the ledger. Are you hearing me today? The fourth lesson, number four, is that we should make every effort to restore broken relationships. In this story we have of Onesimus, Paul is appealing to his owner, his former owner, to not only forgive him, which probably on a spiritual level he should have done already, right? Should have forgiven him already. But Paul's asking for more. Paul's asking for reconciliation and restoration. He says, I want you to accept this runaway slave. Accept him back as a brother, as one of my fellow workers now. He, he, you have been a blessing to my life, Philemon. Now I want you to accept him and restore his status. He said, not just as a slave, as a man, as a brother. I don't know that any of us, because we don't have the context today of this kind of brutal slavery and the distinction of classes, it's hard for us to understand what Paul was asking Philemon to do. But this I do know. God desires that all of us strive to go beyond just forgiveness. And if we can be reconciled to someone, we make efforts to be reconciled. And if there's someone that has wronged you, that even restoration is made. And that we are even willing to step up and to help someone be restored to where they can live a a beneficial and a useful, fruitful life in their new walk with Jesus. Powerful message of restoration. Final lesson I want to share with you is the analogy that we see in this story. It is so evident. The analogy of our relationship with God in this story. Did you pick up on it? Did you see that this story, I think one of the reasons it's included in the New Testament is because you and I are like Onesimus? We are Onesimus. Can I just point out very quickly three of these analogies? First of all, Onesimus has an undeserved substitute. He receives an undeserved substitute. Who is that? In this case, it's Paul. Paul becomes his substitute for Onesimus. And he's saying to Philemon, welcome him as you would welcome me. Forgive him as you forgive me. Therefore, as Philemon was standing there looking at Onesimus, he was supposed to see the face of the apostle Paul. And just like Paul was offering to take Onesimus' place, Jesus Christ offers to take our place. And he provides us an undeserved, folks, we don't deserve it, amen? An undeserved substitute instead of us taking the penalty that we deserve from the judgment of sin and the penalty of our past lives. Instead, Jesus says, wait a minute, I'll take that payment and I'll become the substitute for them. Yes, Paul described it to the Galatian believers this way. He said, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Secondly, there was an unpayable debt that you can see in this analogy. Who had the unpayable debt? Onesimus. We are like Onesimus. And you and I have an unpayable debt. What is that debt? It's the debt of sin. Paul says to Philemon Philemon in verse 18, if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. 
You see, Onesimus had incurred a debt. By the way, it was a debt he would never, ever been able to repay. Was not possible for him to have the funds to pay this. And yet, Paul not only financed his trip back to Colossae, but also was willing to pay any charges that he had incurred. That was a bleak picture. But like Onesimus, we've also incurred a debt. The Bible tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is what? The penalty for sin is what? Death. We also have an unpayable debt that only a gracious God can handle. And he sent Jesus to pay it on our behalf. And the last analogy is there's an unbelievable payment made. Yeah, Paul's payment for the debt. Paul wants to make one point very, very clear, and he repeats it. He says, I will pay this in his own writing, capital letters, with an exclamation point. He wants to make sure he knows, I'm going to take care of the payment. I'm going to take care of the full price that is incurred. Beloved, this is what Jesus did for you and for me. You and I had an unbelievable, this this, this unpayable debt, but Jesus paid an unbelievable payment for it. His life. His life on the cross became the payment for our debt. So I think you can see that this story of Philemon and Onesimus and Paul not only teaches us practical Christian life lessons, but also paints this amazing analogy of our relationship with a loving God. Can you see it? Can you see it today? I want to bring us to a close today and just ask you to just let the Holy Spirit search your heart this morning. Ask yourself this question. Is there someone today that you need to forgive? Is there someone today that you need to not only forgive, but maybe there's some reconciliation? Maybe even there's some restoration of relationships and status that you need to offer. Not because you're just a great person, but because of what God has done for you. Out of that, motivated by that love, maybe you today think of someone that God is speaking to you about. Would you listen to His voice today? Of someone that you need to release from their debt. Someone that you need to help restore to a place of usefulness. And I know God will give you the grace to do that. Or possibly you're here this morning and you say, I've got this load on my life. It's, it's an unpayable debt. I need a substitute. I need someone that will come and stand in my place and take the burden and take the debt responsibility off me. Jesus is offering to do that for you today. I'm going to ask that our prayer teams would come forward now available to pray for you. So if you're here today and you say, I need prayer, either maybe it's a practical Christian life lesson or maybe it's because you really need this burden lifted off your life, I want to invite you to come and let one of our teams pray for you. They'll pray with you out of hearts of compassion. They won't judge you, but they'll simply love you and pray for you. I want to close today as you stand to your feet with me. Denise is going to come and bless you with a blessing. May I just close us with a word of prayer for this application? 
Holy Spirit, we thank you for making principles clear to us from Scripture. And as we study this lesson today about Philemon, wow, so real, so clear. You're speaking to us about things in our own lives that we need to adjust. You're also showing us that beautiful picture of your grace, love that's available towards us. We ask that these things would never be lost on us. In Jesus' name. And after Denise blesses you, you'll be dismissed. If you would, just open your arms to receive a blessing from the Lord. It's from Him today. May you be filled with the Holy Spirit as you wait upon Him and feast at His table. May you receive strength and power May you receive an understanding of the righteousness that you have in him. May your life bear the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, and self-control. May you go forth with the favor of God resting on your life. And may you bear and carry the light of the world to those around you. In the name of Jesus, I bless you. Amen. God bless you all.